Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Kuf Tet, page 109. Again, we'll put in a little plug for our CM. Please sign up. We're so thrilled how many of you have signed up. Uh, if you would like to share some Torah, please let us know as well. And we're really looking forward to uh, learning with you. And I guess now it's almost uh, 11 days. Uh, so that will be great. I'm actually going to start today on the bottom of Kufchet, Amud Bet, 108 on the bottom, uh, with a very, you know, the, the this Gemara and the top of 109 are actually, I would say, some of these very famous Gemaras that I keep referring to in Arve Psachim. Tana Rabbanan, the rabbis taught in Abraisa, Hakol Chayavim Barbakosot, Halulu, right? Everybody's obligated in this mitzvah of the four cups. Echad Anashim, the Echad Nashim, the Echad Tinokot, right? men, women, and children, right? So the whole idea is that this doing these four kosot um, is a mitzvah unto itself. And anyone who's at that Seder or doing sharing this experience, they all have to do it. I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, v'chin, v'chin, ma to'elet Okay, but wait, why do we have children drink wine? Which is the obvious question, right? Generally, we would not give children wine. Um, but I think what he's also asking here is, we usually say children are exempt from mitzvot. So why specifically, if you were going to name any mitzvah that you think children have to do, the mitzvah that you're going to say children have to do is that they have to drink these four kosot. Right? So rather, the idea is that we distribute it to him. Right? We give them parched grain and walnuts on the on, on Erev Pesach. So I guess these were some type of, um, uh, you know, treats that they were allowed to eat. But again, um, you know, it's interesting that we're doing this sort of parched grain because we're, you know, we, we it, it's obviously not chametz yet, whatever that is. But we give that to them, Arab Pesach. So that they will not fall asleep and they should ask questions. So the other thing that's interesting here is that we're sort of seeing that this idea of giving them, you know, getting them to already ask questions begins already on Arab Pesach. It's not just at the Seder itself. But everything that we do, even on Erev Pesach, should already lead to this experience of them trying to get them to ask questions. And it's not clear, again, the Mepharshim are split, is the idea that these are particular foods that will keep them up? Is it that it's foods that are unusual, they're not usually given, um, and that's why they're going to ask questions? So those are some of the things to think about with this passage. Amor Alav al-Rabbi Akiva. And then they said this about Rabbi Akiva. Shehayu mechalek kilayot. So he would give children this parched grain and walnuts on Erev Pesach. And I have this beautiful image here. It's not necessarily his children, but I guess the children of his Talmidim. Like, couldn't you see, like, you went to visit your Rebbe, Erev Pesach, and he hands out these treats to the children, right? So they should not fall asleep, and they would ask questions. So I feel like if I get the Zichut to be a grandmother, I could just see, the truth is I could start this with my children now, this would be like a minhag I could get into starting, right? That I give my children like a package of treats or something for them to nash on, you know, on Erev Pesach. And then they quote another Brisa Tanya, right? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, We snatch matzahs on the night of Pesach. So that the children will not fall asleep and they will um, stay awake. And again, what does this mean exactly that they snatch the matzahs? So the idea is that we don't want them to eat too much because we don't want them to fall asleep. But it's 
beautiful to see that sort of this age old problem of the children falling asleep at the Seder, right, which all of us know about now, was even apparent in the times of the Tanayim, right? Kids fall asleep and the Seder goes very late. And so seeing what are the things that the Tanayim did to keep children awake and involved, you know, this was sort of an, an age old uh, Seder problem. And then uh, another Brisa, Tanya, Amru Alav Al Rabbi Akiva, right? In a Brisa, they taught, they said this about Rabbi Akiva. In all his days, he never said the time has come to stand up in the Beit Midrash, meaning it wasn't time to finish studying. Other than an Arab Pesach and an Arab Yom Kippur. But an Arab Pesach, he would stop it so that the children would not fall asleep at night. The Arab Yom Kippurim, right? And an Arab Yom Kippur, I think I said Arab Pesach, but Arab Yom Kippurim, right? He would stop it so that people could actually go home um, and they could um, they could feed their children because we also know, we learned this in Brachos, right? It's a mitzvah to actually eat um, on Arab Yom Kippur. But the idea is that he stopped, Arab Pesach, he stopped so that the children could go home and they could rest. Again, I think every many of you will be familiar with sort of the pre-Seder forced nap. Um, that's certainly a tradition in my house. The parents are always able to do the forced nap, the children with varying degrees of compliance. I'm sure many of you have experienced a fight. I'm not tired. I don't need to go to sleep. But again, I love to see that like, you know, this is sometimes we read things in the Gemara where we say like, God, it's so different today. And sometimes we read things that we see like nothing has actually changed. And this was one of these pages of, you know, to me, nothing has actually, uh, nothing has actually changed. So I have a couple of comments here. The first is that um, not this past year. This past year was already Corona, so who knows? But before that, when my son was in Gan kindergarten nursery, I guess in Israel, they gave one of the things that they did as part of the like the pre-Pesach education was that they gave him walnuts, and I mean, but like in hard shells, like there's nothing. You need a nutcracker to open them, and. I, they didn't really provide any explanation. They just gave out walnuts. And I feel like, was that designed to get them to ask? I'm not sure that it worked, you know, in that capacity. But it certainly seems to be that this is, you know, a tradition alive and well in early childhood education in Israel, at least in South Jerusalem. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that um, we've been talking for a long time now, even through all the Korban Pesach, right, about how there's a, a push to inclusivity, right, within inclusion, I guess, within the Korban Pesach to make sure that everybody is participating. And we've talked about how the most the the most impoverished, right, the, the people with the least money should still be able to be like royalty on the Haseda, right? And here I would say that in a comparable way, there's attention to all of the different populations that can be or that are likely to be present at the Seder, right? The idea that we've got men and women and children, you know, that kind of covers a lot, you know, in terms of, I guess nowadays we have a lot more nuance in all of these different categories, but from a Gemara perspective, right? There's attention to detail here to make sure that everybody is going to have a presence in the four cups. And since we're gonna say, well, the children should not be drinking wine, their representation of the four cups of the freedom of it even, right, is through these treats which is kind of exactly freedom and, and fun, right? Engaging the children. And then lastly, what I wanted to, and I have more to say on that in a moment as I continue in the Gemara, but the last thing I wanted to comment on here is that um, 
this business of Kadesh Yishalu, the idea that, you know, we do a number of different things, and this is only just a couple of them, you know, on Lecha Seder, in order that the children should ask. And I feel like, okay, but if the children have had an education about what the Seder is, and they learn that this is how we do things, and we learn, you know, and they learn that this is what the Seder night entails, then the natural curiosity, let's say, that this is designed to engender, perhaps is not really ever going to happen, right? It's this catch-22 of we want to teach about Pesach to prepare for Pesach, and in doing so, it kind of gets in the way of the the design of the theatrics here of Kadesh Yishalu in order that the children should ask. On the other hand, um, I think that it can be very fun for children who do, who have prepared and they do know about this. And then, you know, even to see that there's going to be treats or I know I have one friend who for any question that the children ask or answer at the Seder, he doles out chocolate chips, meaning nothing too big, nothing we too do, We do marshmallows heavy. in our house. It's mini marshmallows. There you go. Exactly. It's the same idea, right? The idea that there's something that like, that's going to spur them to participate and it certainly keeps them awake, you know, and, and, uh, you know, with enough children, it can be competitive. You know, there's there's something about. I think that especially if you're the the, you know, pardon the gender stereotyping here, but if you're the mother of the house or the female of the house, the odds on the sitting down to Leil Haseder being a, a a night of fun. I feel like a lot of people don't feel that it's fun because they're kind of tired already at that point. But not from lack of sleep, but from lack of, you know, from so all the preparations for Pesach. Whereas for the children who might be tired because it's late at night, you know, there's there's this element of fun that is exactly the cherut. This is the freedom. This is the four cups of wine, as it were, lahavdil, right? As it were for the children that they get that they have questions to ask and and nuts and great roasted grains or whatever. But the idea that they are to be engaged. Um, and I think that this is this Rabbi Akiva's attunedness to keeping the children involved and to kind of engendering his own students to go home and then involve their children, I think is really exactly what we're all talking about in terms of Leil HaSeder being a real uh, ped- pedagogical feat, right? It's an it's accomplishment, the, the education generation to generation that takes place on Pesach. So then the Gemara continues, and we're just going to go through a little bit more of Amr Aleph. Again, these Dapim are short, Tanar Banan, we have a mitzvah of Simchat Yom Tov. That's not just Pesach. That's all of the regalim. That's all of the festivals. There's a Pasuk. You should be happy. You should rejoice in your holidays. So what does it mean that you're going to be happy? What does that, you know, what will, with what will you rejoice? So the Gemara's first answer is Biyayin, with wine. So perhaps in the Arba Kosot, which we've talked about as as a matter of freedom, you know, are also simcha, uh, joy, fun, however you want to define it. But Rabbi Huda recognizes that it's not that simple, right? That each population is going to have that which is going to be misamech them, which is going to make each population more happy. Now, this is one of those places where Yardena, we said this, you know, nothing ever changes. And I think that the following statements are Perhaps an example of nothing ever changes, except for that now we're going to bristle at them more because there's a certain amount of, as we, as I've already mentioned, gender stereotyping. So everybody should get that which makes them happy, you know, as a matter of yantif, and to to be to fulfill simchat yom tov. 
So the men, what's that going to be? Wine. What's going to make the women happy? It's interesting to me that the presumption here is, you know, the given is that it's not going to be wine. Tani Rav Yosef Bavel in Bavel they would have um, colored attire, colored garments, clothing. They would have a fine linen that would be iron, pressed linen, um, so that the women's simcha comes from having nice, you know, depending on where they're located, what what how we define nice, but either way, nice clothing for the holiday. And I think that there, in certain circles, that is a tradition to get something new for the holiday, uh, new clothing, and it is definitely something that is more in the female uh, capacity than men. I suppose men also get something new for Yentif, but it's not considered a fulfillment of Simchi Yom Tov in the same way. Look, and I think these are the types of passages, like people like nice things sometimes, and that's okay, and that's part of our human experience. And, you know, I like that we don't eschew all types of materialism. We're allowed to have nice things sometimes, and that can elevate our experience, all within moderation. Yes, I like that point. I like that point. Well, the bottom of the daf, we're going to skip the measurement piece because, you know, I don't know. We just both didn't feel like talking about math today. Um, you know, starts on <laughs> We've this- got plenty coming. We've got plenty coming. Exactly. Uh, starts on this weird topic about Zugot. So we're actually going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, so even though I know you're probably already reading that part of the daf and you're like, how did they not talk about that? Because all of Kofiud is going to deal with this topic and we got a lot to say on it. But that will be for tomorrow's episode. So I will wrap up. That's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and maybe some of the customs that you enjoy with your family on Erev Pesach or how you celebrate Yom Tov on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.